there, folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the university and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We're making our way through these top 40 texts. Oh, what a difficult decision, picking 40 texts if you're going to do a top 40 for the sake of biblical literacy. And we are near the end. Second to last text is 1 Peter chapter 4. So uh, we just made our way through the uh, Romans 3 and James 2, this saved by faith, faith without works is dead combo, you might say. Uh, The last one, the 40th, is in Revelation. But before that, I wanted to do a text that dealt uh, compactly, substantively, very meaningfully with the theology of the cross, with the role of suffering in the Christian life. And I think in 1 Peter 4, we get a marvelous treatment, uh, verses 12 to 19, if you're kind of tracking along. Shorter passage, I guess, relative to the others, but oh, so rich. I guess by way of intro, First Peter is, it's a, mar- a lot of people have taken it as a, a baptismal homily, a kind of sermon you would preach to the newly baptized. Okay, and part of the reason we get this is for language of baptism appears in there. Um, He brings up Noah's flood, for example, and says, uh, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Um, Language of born again, baptism. Okay, so it's very baptismal. But at the same time, I think it's it's more widely uh, recognized than just like one congregation. I think, yeah, he preaches this to the newly baptized, but I think he has in mind the baptized of the church, uh, which are always... Who, who are always, what, returning again and again to the baptismal grace that we've been given, that it be strengthened and nourished uh, for the one true faith unto everlasting life. So the language in the very first verse is like to the, to the ones in the diaspora, to the ones who have been scattered, to the ones who are in exile, a very rich way to speak of this, but uh, to the ones who are um, in the wilderness of this world, pilgriming through this life, um, to the ones who are in exile from, what, family, friends, colleagues, to the ones who are experiencing uh, being cast away from the ways of the world because of who you are as a baptized child of God, this letter is for you, okay? And so this is a very, very wide-ranging baptismal sermon or letter, and he also deals with the end times, like we are not only in this, like the geographical diaspora, the exile, we're all in this as the baptized throughout all times and places. But at the same time, uh, whatever time it is, we are in the end times. And he looks at suffering from that perspective, and it's just a very rich treatment. Um, and so before I get uh, too far ahead of myself, I'm going to go ahead and read the text here. But this is First Peter 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. It reads as follows. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will become of what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Alrighty, so there we have the text of 1 Peter 4. It's the end of chapter 4. This is a very rich section that deals with what I would say the theology of the cross. Um, We tend to talk about that as Lutherans. We're big on this deal that the cross at the end of the day gives shape and meaning and definition to theology. So um, what are we learning about God if, for example, I happen, happen to be going through a bad time, an affliction, some suffering? Look at it through the lens of the cross. Uh, think along the lines of him coming to you through the opposite ways you might expect. Choosing to draw near, not by health and wealth, but by this particular affliction. To unite himself more closely to you. To conform you to the image of Christ, uh, who is in the image of God, and so on. So there's a lot to be said there about keeping the cross central. Well, you're going to see as we go along... Um, Christ's sufferings are at the heart and center of what Peter does. So first things first, you'll notice the first word is beloved, as in whatever it is that's going on, you are loved by God. Beloved. You are still greatly loved, greatly loved in the midst of whatever it is that's going on. Beloved. Keep that as a framework for understanding what's going on. Otherwise, we're just going to be left to our own devices. You're just going to look at the thing and say, well, this thing's going on, therefore that. Beloved, confess your identity first as a loved child of, of God in Christ. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. So this is not, you know, you get the idea maybe that once I'm baptized, everything will be daisies and kittens and all you know, make some money and be healthy and all of this. Do not be surprised. It's part of the turf. You can't be a baptized child of God without it. Do not be surprised. It's part of the deal. And that shouldn't surprise us too much because what's at the heart and center of the Christian faith, Christ crucified. That's when God's doing some of his best work. And so should it really surprise us? No, uh, that he's doing some of his best work on us in the midst of these afflictions. The fiery trials. By the way, you got to love the adjective there or the, yeah, the descriptor. Fiery. So there's a word for fire in Greek. Purr. Um, I don't know. Think purge. Purr. But this is the, like the, uh, the burning process, the ordeal that it goes through. Um, Proverbs has some of this language about um, being tried, uh, being refined in a furnace and this idea of like the process of um, being refined by these ouchies, you might say, something that's a little hot or hurts. Okay, now that's 
important to keep in mind because fire, yes, ouch. Okay, there's the ouch of fire, but at the same time, there is the the refining, the purifying, the um, can only be made better through this means stuff. Burning bush. I mean, some of these, you got to think fire. Where? I mean, is it just a coincidence? So Ten Commandments, you know, you get all this smoke and thunder. Um, if you get flashes of lightning, so there's a lot of smoke where God's presence is, God's glory. There's also a lot of fire when God does something. Burning bush, he's in the bush. He's actually in that bush. It's burning, but it's not burning. It's consumed, but it's not burning. He's actually not obliterating some physical object. He's actually taking up residence in something physical. Well, he'll do that again in the person of Jesus, in the flesh, when the word becomes flesh. Um, but so there is this... Um, there is this refining. There is this, on the one hand, God's judgment with fire, right? God's presence, though, with fire. Or the ouchies, yes, but also the something's being refined and purified in the midst of this. So, yes, it does, um, it does cause this pain, for example. And yet, at the same time, the Lord is accomplishing his uh, purposes all the same. Something's being refined, purified. Something's being made better than it was. This is a process. Uh, yeah, you think fire, burning bush, he's present in the midst of this in a way that he wouldn't otherwise be. Um, the fiery furnace of Daniel, similar story there, right? Present with us in the midst of this fire in a way that we just didn't see or the way that he wasn't outside of this experience of being tossed into this fiery thing, right? Um, so do not be surprised that it is a fiery thing to test you. Now, this is not, um, so we'll, James tells us God doesn't tempt anyone, but we do know that there are um, that there are tests in the Bible. God tested Abraham with the whole sacrifice of Isaac. Um, and that these tests do something to the relationship that wouldn't otherwise happen if it wasn't there. And so there is a strengthening. There is this, I don't know, like a Luther once said, like a father who, you know, you might, you have a son there with an apple or a toy. You might take it away real quick. Now, I don't know. I've got a seven month old right now. He might, you take away his chew toy and he's going to cry. He's going to look at you like you're a big meanie pants, but you know, I might take it away, maybe with somebody a little bit older, but take it away in the sense of, now come get it. Come wrestle me for it. Boy, my my three-year-old boy, my five-year-old, they would love that. You know, take it away in the sense of, so that I can be even closer to you. Don't focus just on the, dad took that away from me. Or dad did something that seems to uh, cause some, you know, pain or affliction or something like that. Look at the dad's doing something for for some really great purposes on the other side. Don't be surprised at the fiery trouble, trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. No, uh, no, this is central to how our Lord works with his saints. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Okay, you get the end times kind of presence there like... Look at this in the bigger picture when his glory is revealed. Like, see this affliction from the perspective of the end times glory. 
and rejoice then, if you look at it from that view, there's even cause for joy in suffering. Why? Because you're sharing Christ's sufferings. You're actually participating. So if you've heard of the word koinonia, uh, koinonia, something in common, fellowship with one another, that's a similar phrase here, koinoneta, koinoneta, like this. You're actually, you have something in common with Christ. You're actually being united to Christ in a very unique way. You're sharing Christ's sufferings. Not that he didn't do all the work there on the cross, but you're actually being drawn into his sufferings in some very rich way, um, so much that you can rejoice and be glad because when you're with him in this, you know how you're going to turn out. Um, when you're baptized into him, you're buried in him, you know that you're, you're going to rise with him. You know the end of the story right now. And same for the sufferings. This is, as Paul would say, uh, but a drop in the bucket, not even worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So rejoice insofar as you're being uh, drawn close to Christ in this, that there is... Um, that there is purpose and meaning in this and that there is glory on the other side of this. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Again, this reference to glory. Um, if you are insulted, why is, in, why is being insulted one of the first examples here? Well, there's something about bearing that baptismal name that brings about I mean, some of this, I suppose, is ultimately hatred against against God. What do you do? You go after his closest representatives. You go after the ones that bear his name. If you've got something against him, go after the one. I mean, you're not gonna. What are you gonna do against him other than just reject him? But you can do some some damage, some insulting, and so on to the ones that bear his name. So if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Which is again, our Lord. It's, it kind of reminds me of the Beatitudes of blessed are you when you're reviled and, um, you know, other, others utter all kinds of evil things against you, right? Rejoice and be glad. Sounds like Peter knows that sermon. Um, for great is your reward and so on. Um, you are in the midst of that. The Lord has taken the things of this world, the evil. I mean, you meant it for evil. You meant your insult for evil, but God meant it for good that I may be blessed. There's a special kind of blessing when you're insulted for the name of Christ, when you bear that, that opposition or persecution for being who you are as a Christian. And it's in the Lord's design that that's not the end word that doesn't get the, the final say. That when that insult happens, it's immediately in the Lord's hands turned for for a blessing as well. And what is that? The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That there is this glory that is present tense resting upon you. That there is this rest. I mean, that's the other thing too, that it stays with you. The spirit, you're not alone in this. That the spirit uh, draws near and rests upon you. Gives you a kind of rest Um that only he can give in the midst of this restlessness of life that comes by way of, of this affliction that comes by way of suffering, this blessing of the spirit of glory and of God resting upon us, drawing near in a very, uh, 
unique, special way in the midst of what has happened. The Lord has put this in the design that um, the stuff of insulting and persecuting and so on will not get the upper hand, but he will use even that that evil to accomplish his good purposes. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with our study in just a moment. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcast, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. there folks we are back with our study of first peter four kind of sobering isn't it uh talks of suffering the role of suffering in the christian faith the theology of the cross at the same time again this is this is at the heart and center of who we are in christ crucified that the life of the Christian is ultimately, and at its essence, cruciform. It has the form of the crucible, of the crux of the cross. And so Peter unpacks that here. It's just so rich, too. You know, baptism, where's the cake? It's down the fellowship hall, right? Yikes, he goes right into it, right? About the afflictions that will come for bearing the name of Christ. By the way, I was looking also at, in Peter, there's a quite a bit about... I mean, earlier in the epistle, you're caught, you could be labeled an evildoer. You'll be reviled. This is in chapter 3. You'll be slandered. Uh, you'll be reviled again. Um, you'll be maligned. Um, and then, not to mention, after this, chapter 5, the devil is also um, prowling around, roaring like a lion, seeking someone to devour. Oh, and not to mention the uh, the stuff of the own flesh. And so this is just very, I mean, when we think of the occasion of a baptism or something, I don't know, again, the cake comes to mind and all this, but this is just very, but this is, that's the point, at the center of the baptismal faith, which is, I wanted my students to see this. I want it, especially um, if they're coming from traditions that don't really think much about the role of the cross in the Christian faith, which is kind of an amazing thing to say but you know you have this the theology of glory that creeps up all the time uh this idea that if you're just doing your faith better then more glory is coming your way like in right here right now health and wealth and that sort of thing 
All right, Peter continues, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Some interesting terms here. Um, the point here would be don't – okay, so if there's some value or benefit or some sort of meaning or purpose, I mean, if it's if it's the case that, I mean, you're suffering, your affliction, never meaningless, never purposeless as a Christian, well, then maybe I'll just – I'll just take matters into my own hands and I'll just go seek out a bunch of kind of suffering. Well, no, um, it doesn't work that way. In fact, just the opposite. Um, we have in our Lutheran Confessions this beautiful quote about before time began, God knew exactly what sorts of trials and afflictions that he would use to conform you more closely to the image of our son, the image of his only begotten son. And so this was like pre-creation. He's thinking through exactly the sorts of things that that he would use. Okay, so that's the opposite of just running out there. I'm going to go, you know, murder, thief, evildoer, meddler. Um, maybe the so these are commandments of don't murder, don't steal, evildoers, kind of general. Meddler is an interesting term. I think it's only here. It's literally like another. Um, Episcopos, which would be like uh, overseer. Uh, Scopos would be in your scope, in your sight. Epi is oversight, so Episcopos, like bishop, oversight. But it'd be like another Episcopos, another overseer. Like where there is an overseer, you're trying to be another overseer. You're meddling with somebody else's oversight, like Somebody else that might, I don't know, a colleague is a father. Well, here, let me tell you how to be a good father or something like that. It's jumping in, uh, kind of meddling, getting, interfering with someone's oversight. You're kind of like trying to be a bishop in a place where God hasn't given it to you to, to do so. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, by the way, that term Christian, Christianos, um, it doesn't really pop up that much in the New Testament. You know that the Acts, the book of Acts, the the ones who uh, were Christians were followers of the way, right? The way, the truth, the life. Christian, Christian. Uh, we don't have too much in the New Testament, but here's one reference. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Again, this emphasis on it is not strange. Don't be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Give thanks to the Lord for what is at the core of who you are. Give thanks to the Lord for what our Lord is um, accomplishing through this, what our Lord has promised in the midst of this. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will become or what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Kind of an interesting phrase. My students usually struggle with this one. Like, I just don't know what. Um, But there is this, um, what? God... Uh, on his radar screen, you might say, first and foremost, the ones of his household. Um, those are the ones that are being purified. And Peter wants to put this in perspective. Like, look, we're in the household. That's one thing to just keep in mind. Like, this thing happens. It's not that you've done something that, okay, um, I must be out of the household of God because of this thing that's happening in my life. No, you're very much in the household. It goes with the beloved. You are loved in this. You are one of my dear children. You are in the household of God throughout this entire thing. Okay. 
if it begins with us, as in if we're going through these fiery trials, and let's be honest, they are fiery, and there's some ouches involved, and it's not all that fun to be insulted for being a Christian or for whatever the case, being persecuted and so on. If they'll, if that comes with its fair share of ouchies, then what will become of those who want nothing to do of the gospel? And, and then he quotes from Proverbs 11 here, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Um, if it's the case that, yeah, these things hurt as, as Christians, the persecutions, well, imagine how far worse it is for those who want nothing to do with the gospel. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, if it's hard enough the way it is, like, look, we know the parable of the sower, right? The seed hits the ground. The, the, what the thorns, the cares and concerns of this world choke out that word. Um, or the trial comes along and there's no root. If the righteous is scarcely saved, if the Son of Man himself says, when I come back, will I find faith on earth? If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner, as in... You know, think about this in the bigger perspective, like end time stuff. Think about how, um, again, how like drop in the bucket this is in the bigger picture. All right. Think about who you are as a baptized child of Christ, what that means for your identity at its core. And that will keep things in perspective here. So, he ends, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's a very jammed-packed sentence here at the end. Um, Let those who suffer according to God's will. This is, again, it's, you know, something bad happens. Well, God just turned a blind eye or he's out of control or something like this. Again, Before time began, he knew exactly the things that he wanted to use to conform you to the image of his only begotten son. And so all of this is in his hands. All of this is in his purposes. None of it is just accidental, meaningless, or in vain. This is all according to his will. And therefore, we can entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. He is faithful, he is merciful. He cannot forget his promises to you. He is also, I love the language here, a faithful creator. Why refer to him as creator here? Kind of an odd thing. Um, Create in me a clean heart, right? The business of creating is in God's hands. And he he can mold and fashion and shape a new thing in the midst of this situation that only he can do as creator that even in the midst of affliction and persecution and so on, God can do his work. um, What is it? Jesus says in John 5, I am working and my Father is still working. And boy, that includes the work on you in the midst of suffering as a Christian. So we can trust a faithful creator in the midst of this while doing good. That last little phrase too kind of gets my students thinking sometimes. And the point is that you don't, neglect your calling in the midst of these afflictions. You don't say the heck with it. You don't go apathy on life in general. What's the point? Who cares, right? Trust the faithful creator while doing what's been given to you to do in the midst of these things. That uh, not only is he... 
drawing you more closely. Not only is he blessing you, not only is he sending his spirit to rest upon you and so on, all these things. He is also continuing to work through you as a kind of mask for the sake of others. For example, when it comes to vocation um, or just more generally speaking, uh, fulfilling all the wonderful things that we've been created to do. Uh, it's by grace we've been saved, and yet we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there you go, before the creation of time, before the creation of the world, God knows exactly the sorts of things he would use to conform you more closely to the image of his son. He also knew exactly the good works that he had prepared for you to do in Christ. And so whether it's through the affliction, whether it's through the calling of this life, he is with you, working through you, blessing you, molding you, shaping you, drawing you uh, more closely to himself and promising you an eternal reward of glory and blessing and honor that will continue without end, that far outweighs anything that, uh, that this life has to throw at us. It's a beautiful text, First Peter 4, very rich theology of the cross, the role of suffering in the life of the Christian. I think we'll call it good for now, but tune in next time. Hey, last one, Revelation 7, it's a doozy. And we'll end our study of the top 40 texts with that one. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian Gurman, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. 